Welcome to the Cal Current Podcast, presented by the Law Offices of Snell and Wilmer. This is a legal podcast that examines a variety of current legal issues that affect individuals and businesses here in California and beyond. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Sean Sherlock, for this episode of Cal Current. And today we will discuss environmental considerations in commercial real estate transactions. Today's episode will be part one of a two-part series with the second episode publishing in September. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the various risks uh, that our federal and California environmental laws pose in commercial real estate transactions. And we'll also be talking about a few ways to mitigate those risks, particularly risks under CERCLA, the Federal Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation Liability Act, also known as the Federal Superfund Law. We'll be talking about a few of the liability exemptions that as a buyer of commercial real estate, you may want to try to qualify for in order to uh, protect yourself from CERCLA liability. And we'll also be talking about some California-related issues as well as means of mitigating against those risks. In part two, we'll turn to discussing indemnities, environmental insurance, brownfields programs, and entitlement due diligence. So let's move right into the risks. For buyers and lenders who are contemplating uh, commercial real estate transactions, our environmental laws, uh, federal and California, pose a number of different risks. Uh, The first and most obvious one that most people are familiar with is the risk that the property may be contaminated. And under our environmental laws, they impose liability for that contamination on the owner of the property. And we'll talk about the lender's uh, risk here as well. But primarily on the owner or operator of the uh, property, as a general rule, the owner and operator of the property is uh, liable to respond to any government orders to investigate and clean up the property and uh, can also be liable to neighbors or other third persons who have expended money cleaning up the contamination from a release on that property. Another bucket of risks uh, comes in the way of potential personal injury or property damage claims. If you acquire a contaminated property, you could be liable to on-site workers, uh, to neighbors, uh, for any types of claims that contamination at your property has caused uh, them some illness or has uh, damaged their property in some way. Quite often, these types of claims will arise when the neighbor uh, undertakes a development, starts digging, and lo and behold, its property is contaminated, uh, sometimes as a result of contamination that came from a neighboring property. Another type of risk or another risk posed by environmental laws is risk to the marketability, financing, and leasing of the property. Our laws require that environmental contamination, environmental conditions be disclosed to buyers, lenders, and tenants. And so if you acquire a contaminated property, it may be more difficult than an uncontaminated property to sell or to finance or to lease. And then a fourth bucket of risks is what I call entitlement risks. If you're acquiring the property and wish to, uh, with a view toward changing its use or developing that property, and if the property is 
contaminated, uh, let's just start there. If the property is contaminated, the presence of that contamination can add costs and delays and, and potentially even limit what it is you want to do at the property. Because quite often, the city or county, the municipality that is going to give you entitlements will want to know how that contamination is going to affect your development, your future operations. And quite often, they will want some uh, resolution or approval from agencies having jurisdiction over hazardous substances to you know, get a green light before they'll allow you to develop it. Also, not just contamination issues, but there are, there are other uh, environmental law issues that can affect your potential entitlement of the property, such as uh, endangered species, for example, or if the property you're acquiring for development has uh, endangered, threatened, sensitive species, plants or animals of any kind on it or, or even the habitat of those species, then that could limit your uh, either limit your ability to develop the property or it could impose mitigation on your development, your project that could be, again, uh, expensive or create delays. So those are basically the four buckets of risks posed to buyers and lenders on commercial property uh, by our environmental laws, investigation and cleanup costs, personal injury and property damage claims, marketability, financing, leasing, and uh, potential entitlement risks. So let's turn now and talk a little bit about how we mitigate these uh, risks, how we may mitigate these risks. Under federal law, the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, or CERCLA as it's typically called. In 2002, Congress enacted a couple of liability exemptions to encourage people to invest in blighted, you know, old industrial, uh, commonly infill, you know, sites that had been contaminated uh, as a result of uh, decades of industrial use. Uh, to encourage people to invest in those properties, to get them cleaned up, and to make them productive again. Because too often, following surplus passage, investors, companies became weary of buying property that was contaminated out of fear of just, you know, opening up Pandora's box and incurring unlimited, potentially unlimited, absolute liability for the uh, hazardous substances. And so a couple of the uh, liability exemptions Congress put into place can help you as someone looking to purchase a piece of contaminated property. Uh, the first one we'll talk about is the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption. To qualify for the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption, the buyer has to meet uh, several different elements. And I'll go over those, but first let me explain that there's no qualification process to go through prior to acquiring the property. This exemption is raised only by way of defense in the event that uh, a government agency or, or other third party comes after you alleging that you are liable under CERCLA. Then uh, if you qualify for the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption, you can raise that as a defense. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, a number of elements that you have to demonstrate. Uh, first, uh, you have to demonstrate that all disposal of hazardous substances occurred prior to your acquisition of the property, and that is typically the case. Second, you must make all appropriate inquiries, which the EPA has essentially defined as 
doing a phase one environmental site assessment. You may already be well acquainted with and familiar with the phase one environmental site assessment. It is kind of the keystone to qualifying for this bona fide prospective purchaser a liability exemption under CERCLA. And a couple of uh, notes about that. First, even if the phase one environmental site assessment identifies contamination at the property or identifies recognized environmental conditions, you can still qualify. You can still purchase the property and qualify for this bona fide prospective purchaser liability exemption. A couple of other points uh, to watch out for on the phase one. Number one, it's only good for 180 days. And so if your deal is going to close more than 180 days after the phase one report was prepared, make sure you have your consultant update that phase one report. Secondly, all phase one reports will have uh, what is called a reliance section, which addresses who may rely on the phase one report. Make sure that that uh, reliance statement provides that the entity that is the acquiring entity or the buyer of the property, the actual buyer, is a party who can rely on the phase one. The third element under the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption is to give all legally required notices of the contamination. And fourth, to exercise appropriate care with respect to hazardous substances. What does that mean? The statute defines appropriate care as three things. Number one, stopping any continuing release. Number two, preventing any threatened future release. And number three, preventing or limiting human, environmental, or natural resource exposure to any previously released hazardous substance. So moving on in our list of items uh, that you need to do to qualify for the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption, provide full cooperation assistance and access for investigation and response to the uh, governing authorities. Uh, comply with, do not impede any institutional controls that might be in place to address hazardous substances at the property. Uh, you have to comply with all requests for information from the EPA, and you may not be affiliated with responsible parties for the contamination. And then finally, you must not impede any response action or the restoration of natural resources. If you meet those elements, again, you can assert that you qualify for this bona fide prospective purchaser exemption. Now, a couple of points on that. There have been a couple of cases in the United States district courts and, and that have gone up on appeal to the federal circuit courts of appeals. In both cases, the entity asserting bona fide prospective purchaser liability exemption lost and the courts ruled against them that they uh, were not exempt under the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption. But it's also it just fairly clear from reading the decision that exemption was asserted by these companies as sort of an afterthought after the EPA came after them. It was not something that they had carefully, you know, tried to comply with in the course of their acquisition uh, or prior to closing on their purchase of the property. So uh, very important that the EPA is certainly going to take a very narrow view of this exemption. And so if all T's are not crossed and all I's are not dotted, uh, there's a very good chance that anyone asserting this exemption is going to have a fight on their hands as to whether they comply. And so very important here, when you're contemplating the acquisition of a contaminated property to consult with environmental legal counsel.
the next CERCLA liability exemption, uh, which is the contiguous property owner exemption. Fairly similar to the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption, uh, but it differs in a couple of ways. Number one, it applies to any person who owns property contiguous to a contaminated property that is owned by someone else. And so if, if your neighbor uh, has a, a contaminated property and that contamination has migrated onto your property, this might, this liability exemption might apply to you. And so if, for example, in the course of your uh, due diligence, uh, looking at your acquisition of a commercial property, you find out that the neighboring property is contaminated, but there's no sense that there was ever any release or contamination at the property you're looking at, then um, you should take a good hard look at whether or not you might qualify for this contiguous property owner exemption. A few elements there, again, you must prove that uh, you did not cause, contribute, or consent to the contamination. Uh, you have to prove, again, that you are not affiliated with any potentially liable party. And that is a very interesting element because uh, just last year in 2021, the First Circuit uh, Court of Appeals in a case called United States versus Puerto Rico Industrial Development Company made a decision how to interpret that requirement. Uh, in that case, the uh, EPA was suing the defendant under CERCLA. Uh, the defendant uh, claimed that, look, our property is only contaminated because contamination is moving onto it from a neighboring property. And we did not cause this contamination. It's, it's all coming from offsite. And so it uh, offered testimony by its experts that, in fact, all of the contamination was coming from offsite. And it claimed on that basis to qualify for the contiguous property owner exemption. Uh, the Court of Appeals said, no, not so fast. It's not enough to prove that the contamination is coming from offsite. You also have to prove who caused the release and that you are not affiliated with that person or entity. And so demonstrating uh, or meeting this element to demonstrate that you are not affiliated with potentially liable party is a little more complicated than it may seem on its face. Other uh, elements to qualify for the contiguous property owner exemption are, again, similar to the BFPP exemption. You must take reasonable steps to stop any continuing release, to prevent any future release, to limit human, environmental, or natural resource exposure. Uh, you must make all appropriate inquiries. Again, uh, you must have performed a phase one environmental site assessment. And then importantly, another element for this contiguous property owner exemption is that you did not know or have reason to know that the property was or could be contaminated. So this is different from the bona fide prospective purchaser exemption under that one. Even if you knew the property was contaminated, you may still qualify. But if you acquire a contiguous property that is contaminated and you have reason to know it's contaminated, you're not going to qualify for the contiguous property owner exemption. Also, like the bona fide prospective purchaser uh, exemption, you must give all legally required notices. You must exercise care with respect to the hazardous substances. You have to provide full cooperation, assistance, and access for investigation and response. And you must uh, comply with all requests for information from the EPA and not impede any institutional controls. Let's shift now and talk a little bit about the lenders. Under CERCLA, 
uh, it has fairly generous liability exemptions for lenders. Concerns were that, well, if I am going to lend on a contaminated property and record a deed of trust against that property, I now have a beneficial interest in the property. Does that make me an owner uh, of the property that is liable under CERCLA? And the answer to that question is no, it does not. Under CERCLA, the lender liability exemption provides first pre-foreclosure and secondly post-foreclosure provides exemptions under both scenarios. First, let's talk about pre-foreclosure. Uh, pre-foreclosure, the lender is uh, exempt from CERCLA liability if it holds indicia of ownership primarily to protect its security interest, which is pretty common, deed of trust recorded against the property. Secondly, does not participate in the management of the facility. So if the lender participates in the management of the facility, then it can be held liable as an owner under CERCLA. But if it does not, then it qualifies for the exemption. So what does participate in the management of the facility mean? CERCLA defines it as actually participating in the management or operational affairs of the facility. For example, when a borrower is in possession and the lender exercises decision-making control over environmental compliance or control at a level comparable to that of a manager of the facility, uh, at that point, it is deemed to be participating in management of the facility. What does not qualify as participating in management is merely having the capacity to influence or the unexercised right to control the facility. Now, post foreclosure, uh, the situation is not much different, but there's an additional element. Even after the lender forecloses on a contaminated property and therefore takes fee title to the property, it can still be exempt from liability under CERCLA so long as it meets two requirements. Number one, it did not participate in management of the facility prior to the foreclosure. And number two, it divests at the earliest practicable, commercially reasonable time on commercially reasonable terms, taking into account market conditions and the legal and regulatory requirements. So the CERCLA, unfortunately, does not provide much clarification on what a lender has to do to divest at the earliest practical, commercially reasonable times on commercially reasonable terms. California has an equivalent exemption, which we'll discuss shortly. And in, under California law, as long as the lender divests of the property within 12 months, it must either list the property with a broker or advertise the property on at least a monthly basis. And that that meets the requirement. So whether that would meet it under CERCLA or not is still unclear, but certainly the lender will want to act very diligently to divest itself of contaminated property after it forecloses on the property. Now, California also has a very generous uh, lender liability uh, exemption. It exempts lenders from any state or local statute, regulation, or ordinance that seeks or that requires response action penalty, fine, imposition, assessment, forfeiture, damages arising from hazardous materials. And here again, to qualify for California's lender liability exemption, uh, the lender must maintain indicia of ownership primarily to protect its security interests, and it must not participate in the management of the property prior to foreclosure. And this would apply after foreclosure, if the property is acquired by the lender through either foreclosure or equivalent such as a deed in lieu, 
the liability exemption would still apply so long as the lender undertakes to divest the property in a reasonably expeditious manner using commercially reasonable means. The lender also has to make any required legally required disclosures and has to suspend operations where a release occurred, uh, remove the hazardous materials that were not released, and report any known or suspected releases. That covers part one of this episode of CalCurrent. Again, is a two-part series of CalCurrent. The second and final part of Environmental Considerations in Commercial Real Estate Transactions will publish in September, so please check back. I'm your host, Sean Sherlock, and I appreciate your time. If you have any questions about the topic covered in today's episode, please consult with your legal counsel or counsel of your choosing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CalCurrent, a podcast navigating California's legal landscape, brought to you by the law offices of Snell and Wilmer. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss? please feel free to send us your topics to calcurrent at swlaw.com. Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and information about this podcast. We can also be found on all major social media platforms at SWLaw News. Thank you and until next time.